101. So the red envelope one, the how much money do you make one? Like, how which one do you want? I told you, like, this is all lightning round. I mean, I could do it all day. Wow, wow, okay. wow. How about I, Andrew? I feel do you get anger. asked? Yeah, of course. You do get asked? Which the one relationship do you get asked? ones, I don't like those. I'm not a fan mm. of them. And I don't like ones about money. No. Like, I don't want to talk about... Do they ask you about... how much you make? Well, sometimes, yeah. A lot of people really? want to know how much I make. So intrusive. I say, I make enough. I'm, look, see, I'm not, like, wasting Poor. away. <laughs> okay, so we wish you all the best of luck uh, facing the relatives. Those are some tips for you, and that's our brain game for the week. this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? Of all the places where archaeologists have dug in Taiwan, few have yielded treasures as remarkable as those found in Hualien County along the East Coast. Yet until this year, many of these treasures were scattered among various universities and museum collections in other corners of Taiwan. Now, the newly opened Hualien County Museum of Archaeology has brought them all back home in one place. The collection here is enormous, and it includes items both mysterious and impressive. Together, they paint a picture of a prehistoric past in which Hualien was a sophisticated place, connected both with the rest of Taiwan and the outside world. The museum's director, Mr. Wan, joins us today for an overview of the Hualien region's prehistory and the legacies it's left to us. Taiwan is already home to at least two museums dedicated to prehistory, but under Taiwanese law, each county is entitled to manage archaeological finds that emerge from its own soil. In the case of Hualien, a museum to highlight local finds of this kind is especially worthwhile. The East Coast, Hualien included, is the part of Taiwan where you can find upright standing stones of mysterious purpose. Hualien is also the only place in Taiwan where you can find a precious resource, jade. As always when talking about prehistory, we don't know the names of important figures or details about the events they lived through. But what is clear from sites across Hualien County is that things changed over time. This has led scholars to classify the area's prehistory into three cultural stages. The earliest started around 5,000 years ago. It was characterized by decorated pottery marked in lines by a cord that was pressed into the clay while it was still wet. There are two characteristic sites of this period in the Hualien area, and they continued to be occupied until around 4,500 years ago. Later came the Huagangshan culture, named after a site that sits in the county seat of Hualien City. This period stretches from around 3,500 to 2,000 years ago. The pottery from this era is less exciting, it's left undecorated. But it's from this period that we start getting something really interesting. Jade working, the area's specialty. Jade is not found anywhere else in Taiwan. 
and in fact it's not found for a long way around Taiwan either. This made Hualien's jade ornaments a hot commodity, and as we'll hear later, prehistoric jade items traceable to this area have been found in some surprising places. With the third and final cultural period, which lasted from around 1,200 to 800 years ago, we get proof of ironworking. The characteristic Hualien site for this culture contains a whole lot of iron slag. Work on excavating and researching the prehistory of Hualien has continued uninterrupted since the Japanese colonial era, which lasted from 1895 all the way to the end of World War II. The 1920s in particular saw many of the first excavations of sites belonging to the cultures we've mentioned. And the work is still going on, with current research targeting at least one local site. The finds from all these sites of all these cultures are too numerous to mention. The collection the museum alone has so far managed to build numbers around 800,000 items. Mr. One says that just cataloging it all is a dizzying undertaking. But there are two objects in particular, the stars of the collection really, that go to show how unusual and impressive finds from Hualien can be. First, there's a 1.2-ton stone trough. It's 1.5 by 2 meters in size. It's made of slate that can be traced to the far interior of the county, in Taiwan's high central mountain range. But the place it was uncovered is very far away, in a lower range that runs along Taiwan's east coast. It must have taken tremendous effort to move such a heavy object so far with only human strength, and it must have been an incredibly important object to invest all that work in moving it so far away. But what was it used for? We don't know. Mr. One says the depression in the middle is too shallow for it to have been useful as a stone coffin, for instance. He says it looks like the sort of trough you might put lots of water in. But why go through the trouble of working such a heavy and thick material when you could easily make a trough like this out of wood, for instance? The mystery remains, and at 1.2 tons, it's a big mystery indeed. Then there is jade working material from around 3,000 years ago. As we've mentioned, Hualien is rich in jade, and one mine in particular was discovered millennia before recorded history. Sure, you can find jade in parts of Southeast Asia and China, but in Taiwan and its surrounding area, jade is a rarity indeed. This explains why crafted jade products traceable to ancient Hualien have been found not just across Taiwan, but in the Philippines, Vietnam, and even Thailand. Whether people from Hualien had direct contact with these places is unknowable, but at the very least, some middleman did, and trade networks before recorded history started linked these far-flung regions. The museum itself is housed in a two-story building. The first floor is home to a curated exhibit that shows the special features of specific sites, the jade and ironworking sites we mentioned earlier, for instance. There are also the standing stones. These are nothing like Stonehenge or the similar stone circles found elsewhere in the world, but they are still impressively massive, and someone clearly took a lot of trouble to stand them upright for some purpose. 
Alongside this are exhibits that span the millennia and focus on a central theme to show evolution over time. These themes might include pottery, jade, or other elements of material culture that continued to change over the centuries. The museum's second floor is home to its warehouse, but this is not like what it sounds. This is what Mr. One calls an open warehouse, a space to store all the many objects that didn't make it into the exhibits on the first floor. But this is completely open to the public, and people can come explore it as they please. Everything is on display behind reinforced glass. This concept of an open museum warehouse is probably a first for a Taiwanese museum. Though Hualien's rich archaeology has been recognized with the establishment of this museum, it seems its true potential has yet to be realized. To date, there are a handful of legally protected archaeological sites across the county. Four are designated by the county government, and four or five more at a lower level. But Mr. One says that in total, there are 246 sites in Hualien that have been given at least a general survey. That is a lot of sites for a place that's less than 5,000 square kilometers around. With work continuing on at least one site that Mr. One mentions, there's bound to be even more items coming out of the ground to add to the museum's collection. Who knows, perhaps one will even rival that stone trough in mystery, or those jade implements in craftsmanship. Anyway, it seems like there's a lot more work to do, and the museum's job is only just beginning. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199 or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. In America, freedom can be found in the automobile. In most places, you have to have a car just to get around, never mind go on a road trip. Here in Taiwan, freedom comes in a much smaller package. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, I bring you an ode to the humble scooter. An Ear to the Ground. With this simple turn of a key, my scooter rumbles to life. There's no need to kickstart this purring beauty, at least not today. It's a far cry from the old days when my neighbor's birds would actually imitate the sound of my scooter wheezing and coughing and failing to start. That was a bit overrated. 
Now, I used to take the metro to work and transfer to a bus, but about a year ago, I decided to switch to my scooter, and I've been weighing the pros and the cons ever since. Every day, I travel from my apartment in southern Taipei to the radio station in the northern part of the city. It's a straight shot up one of the longest thoroughfares to bisect the city, a street that's so long that it has three different names, Beijing, Roosevelt, and Zhongshan. Each section has a different personality. The southern stretches are hotter with less shade. The midsection features Taiwan's top university and the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall. And then there's the government district, home to the legislature, the foreign ministry, the presidential office building. And finally, once I hit Zhongshan, there's a beautiful shady tree cover for the remainder of my ride. I also crossed two rivers and passed the Fine Arts Museum, 12 subway stations, and four Starbucks. And that's not even counting the ones on the other side of the street. Exactly two-thirds of my way to work, I arrive at the Taipei train station, and there's a huge television screen at the intersection which features the latest news and weather. And it has a clock that shows exactly how many minutes I'm going to be late to work. Now, some people think I'm crazy for doing such a long commute on a scooter, especially in the rain. But I've got enough rain gear to keep me dry. And yes, I do miss being able to read a book on my way to work. That doesn't work so well on a scooter. But my ride's about 10 to 15 minutes shorter, and I only pay 5 bucks US a week on gas. It's about twice the price for subway and bus fares. But more than all of that, what I've discovered is that riding a scooter connects me to my city. I love it when I find myself surrounded by other commuters at a stoplight. You know, people you don't usually see on public transport. And up above ground, you can see the city in a way you can't when you're down in the underground tunnels. You can be one with the elements. I know this because I feel every bump in the road, the drops of rain on my face, and the sun on my bare arms. And yes, along the way, I've grown a fondness for my little black scooter. I love the clicking sound of my turn signal as we round a corner. Together, we work our way through traffic, interacting with other scooters in a way that sort of matches the way Taiwanese people hold a conversation. There's a directness and a subtlety, and after a year of commuting on my trusty metal steed, I no longer get angry in traffic. I find myself slipping into the greater give and take, the slow tango, the orchestrated breathing, the inhale and exhale of traffic through the streets. Now every once in a while, my scooter needs a little TLC, and I take him to the hospital for a checkup. Sometimes I gulp when I hear the news that he needs a little open-heart surgery or some sort of transplant. That means I'm going to have to ride the metro to work again that day. But then, once he's discharged and I hop back on my scooter, I'm thankful once again for the freedom that it gives me every day. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. Oh, and one other thing that I almost forgot to mention, I so loved the sounds of my little black scooter that I once used them to create this jingle for a show at RTI called Instant Noodles.
Hey, Ellen, pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast, and this is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan, and we have a special guest today. We do. How come yes. I don't see him? Wait, you can't see him. Over here. I'm over here. <laughs> Hi. How's it going? Hi. Nice to meet you. Hello. So this is Reese Ayers. That's my name. And he is our intern for the winter, our wintern. I am wintern. I love that term. <laughs> wow. You can start using it. There's no trademark on okay, it. Okay. It's going on my LinkedIn. Excellent. Okay. So are you enjoying yourself here now? I am. It's only been a few weeks, but I've been given a lot of responsibility. Yes. Thank you very much, Andrew. Mm, and great to have you on board. I'm very excited to be filming, to record this with you guys. I love wow. eating. You and know, I think he's a natural. I think he's a natural, too. I think so. You know, he's not like, you know, trembling behind the mic. And, you know, he's doing this all natural. I, I'm trembling behind the mic because I think he's going to steal my job. Really? <laughs> I'm trembling okay. inside. Okay. All right. I like that. So today we're going to toss him right on into the middle of what we're calling the kimchi kerfuffle. What is a kimchi kerfuffle? Well, apparently there's been a bit of a brouhaha involving kimchi mm -hmm. and who is the true creator or the original creator of kimchi. Mm -hmm. um, but before we get into that, let's, let's do a little brain exercise here. Okay. If you two could bring one kind of food with you up into space, what would it be? And we are going somewhere with this, I promise. We are. Strawberries. Ooh. Strawberries. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> it's a very romantic fruit to take into space. Right. Mm. It's just my fruit. It is. Right? It's the Ellen like mascot of fruits. Exactly. Yes. They're delicious. I know. Mm -hmm. What would you bring? I mean, it, I, I feel terrible saying this, but I'm sure it would be some version of a bread. Some kind of crusty mm -hmm. bread. Like a French oh. stick or a tiger loaf or something. Something like that. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So good. Um, mm. Reese, what would you bring in? I would probably take a bar of... Are we allowed to say brand product names? Yeah, sure, gonna, sure, sure. I'm going to go ahead and do some mm -hmm. product placement here. Uh, so, <laughs> some, Unpaid. <laughs> some uh, hazelnut, hazelnut dairy milk chocolate from the UK. Ooh. It's very nostalgic. Oh. It's got the chocolate and the nuts. It's mm. very filling. It's very sweet. That would be the thing that I would crave, I think, in space. Wow, that sounds wonderful. It does sound pretty good. I'm, I'm wondering if I should maybe change mine. <laughs> I know. That sounds good. Well, so if we all go together, we can just share, right? I know. We See, can have... the strawberry would, you know, complement the hazelnut chocolate milk. We can yeah. make like dessert brioches. Ooh. Mm. Not no, brioche. Talking. Bruschetta. 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 That's what I'm Yeah, okay. I like that. Mm -hmm. That's good. So the reason why we ask this is because apparently the South Koreans, when they went into space, they brought with them kimchi. They did. They went into space for the first time in 2008 and the first thing on their list of food of course was kimchi they are very patriotic country you know it's they like are. whatever they they want to do they really slap it on and tell people <laughs> that it is from korea mm -hmm. okay? well, i don't think it's just patriotism i think these are people who probably grew up with the taste of kimchi in their mouths and were yeah. afraid of being away from it for but, so long but that is very true because my kids go to an international school and you know i just always see these little little Korean boys or girls the first day of school you know coming from Korea they cannot handle the 
the, the be- lunchbox mm-hmm. that they pre- provide for them at school. Because there's no kimchi. Right, because That's- the taste bud just doesn't, you know, click and they start crying until somebody brings kimchi and they're like, oh. It's like a pacifier for a Korean child, right? <laughs> but I mean, every country, they have their own national dish. And right. we all are very proud of our own cuisines. But I think South Korea takes it to a new level of just being proud of kimchi because mm-hmm. they're, mm-hmm. they're just so in love with it. You know, right. everybody loves kimchi. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, taking it into space. Like they had a, a big problem with it because it's mm-hmm. so full of bacteria, which helps right. with the fermentation process. So it was really hard for them to make a version that could survive in space without like being dangerous or mutating <laughs> into some alien life form. Uh, they spent billions of dollars to develop this kimchi to go into space. Are you serious? You're kidding me. You're, billions. You know, I thought you were just telling me a joke you know (laughs) no like they were they're serious about it okay yeah so you know they made a astronaut kimchi for sure yeah for sure right like and because astronauts cannot live without kimchi but don't be afraid i mean if there's bacteria and things like that you know just use it as a weapon yeah, you could use you know, a weapon. You know, aliens or... come over, you know, shoot them with kimchi. That's I what th- they're doing. Right? I think they could research what happens to kimchi in outer space. I think this would be very important mm-hmm. if we have, like, an international space station, if the, you know, South Koreans want to be there long term. I mean, these are important questions. They have to talk to Elon Musk. <laughs> this, is the, this is the start of a bad sci-fi right, movie. You know, I think Elon Musk would be supporting this. Well, I'm I serious. Like, I like all of this. I think we should uh, we should workshop this. Uh-huh. I think mm-hmm. we should uh, sit down and make... Uh, Maybe meet with some writers and I'll see give can... Spielberg a call. Yeah, please okay. do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll give Elon a call, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll call up Netflix. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll get this But the Korean going. version. Yes, the mm-hmm. Korean okay, version. the Korean version Netflix. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So as you may have guessed, we were talking about kimchi today. Right. Um, shall we have a look at what's on our menu? Yum. All right. Let's do it. Okay, today on our a la carte menu, first course, we'll tell you all about the kimchi controversy, spicy, and some other things that the two countries share in common. And those two countries, of course, are China and Korea, which both claim kimchi. In our second course, we chat with some of our Korean service colleagues here at RTI to hear about their opinions on the debate and their kimchi preferences. And spoiler alert, they may or may not be Korean. Wow. And third course, we indulge in some of Taiwan's very own pickled veggies accompanied by a side of the stinkiest stinky tofu. That's right. What we thought was going to be spicy show turns out to be also a stinky show at the very end. So the conclusion Mm. might as well be, you know, just shoot up the stinky tofu instead of the kimchi. Oh, shoot it up. You mean into outer space? Right. (laughs) Maybe it will be like a representative, you know, and survive there. I have to tell our listeners, we had this big discussion before we started the show today about when to unveil the stinky tofu Mm -hmm. tofu in the studio, because I know the people that use this studio after us are going to be terribly, terribly unhappy. No, if it's a local Taiwanese, they probably will feel, you They'll know, love it. It's like home. Now, yeah. I think they'll be angry because we didn't leave them any. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine putting stinky tofu into outer space? Let me ask Terrible you. Terrible idea. Did you bring in the fried one or the steamed one? I, I, I was kind to everyone. I brought the fried one. Right. Okay. Yes. The steamed one really has a smell. Right. Really. That one, I think, you know, you might lose your job. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Mm-hmm. It's not in that book. Okay. <laughs> I promise you. All right. All right. So we should go into a song to get things started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a retro song here. I can't believe we found a song by 
uh Gao Lingfeng. Gao Lingfeng. He's like kind of like the 70s pop star, yeah? Yeah. 80s pop star. Mm-hmm. And this song is called Pao Cai de Gu Shi or yep. the story of of kimchi or pao cai. No, the pao cai that he was talking about because he's actually from the northern part of China. Oh. His family. So it's so not kimchi it's version. It's not kimchi version, Spoiler definitely. Alert. Ooh, here is mm. where the controversy mm-hmm. starts. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's have a listen to this song when we come back in our first course, The Fermentation Feud. Hey, hey, man, live on pao cai. Hey, hey, man, live on pao cai. Pai 我就小泡菜，我就小泡菜，我就小泡菜，我就小泡菜，人人都喜爱呀，你说奇怪不奇怪？First course。Okay, the fermentation feud. <laughs> I didn't know that this can become a feud. Yes, kimchi, or should we call it? The Chinese word, pao cai. Mm. What do you think, Alan Chu? Is it kimchi or pao cai? <laughs> um, I think, you know, the way they marinated, I mean, they made the pao cai <laughs> is how they started the kimchi. Okay. Okay. Ooh, Ooh that's Ooh. controversial. Oh. We just lost a million Korean listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we're, well, we're starting stay hot tuned, and heavy. <laughs> okay. So we should explain pao cai. Pao means to like to emerge in fluid or liquid, right? Right. And cai would be vegetables. Mm-hmm. So that's basically just saying fermenting your vegetables, mm-hmm. right? Right. But, you know, the recipe is probably a little bit different, right? I would say that, you know, the fermentation process should be invented by China. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. Oh, come on. Did, you know, the Korean department bribe you or something? No. I think that I, well, I don't know if I should tell my opinion. Until I the saw end. a jar of kimchi there. <laughs> I think it's probably true that fermentation started around the same time in different places around the world. Right. And they've all kind of diverged into their own styles. Right. They yeah. have their recipe, right? Like, for instance, Italians have their, you know, pao cai in a way. Mm. They have their pickled, you know, vegetables and things. But, you know, the fermentation process probably originated from China. I don't know about that. You can tell a German that and see if they agree. They're sauerkraut when you think they did that. 
Well, they <laughs> did it later. China has the advantage of being one of the oldest civilizations. I know. So I guess that would be something in their corner for the argument that it's from exactly. there. But I guess it would just be so hard to give a definitive answer as to where it is originally from. Mm. Um, but people have been kind of discussing it online recently, especially between China and Korea. They've kind of been arguing over who originated it. Mm-hmm. And actually, the whole argument began with just this misunderstanding of what Pao Tsai really right. is. But you know, mm. the argument the feud between, you know, Korean and China has always been back and forth, you know, Mm. the claiming of many inventions that the Koreans said that, you know, they invented it, while in history books, we see that, you know, the the people in China invented Mm -hmm. it. I think, uh, and this may be controversial, I think it's just that humans created borders. And Mm -hmm. if we didn't have names for different countries and borders and territories, we would all kind of just be blending together. Exactly. So it's like a chicken or the egg kind of thing. We are family. (laughs) (laughs) We've just solved all of the world's problems. And we've also Uh picked a song for our third course, too. So uh, there is actually, we should say, there is sort of um, regulations for making different kinds of fermented vegetables and pickled Mm -hmm. vegetables. And you actually looked into this, Reese. Right. So there's this organization called the ISO. It's the International Organization for Standardization. And they Mm -hmm. kind of standardize things, including food. Even pao cai and kimchi? And this is where the controversy started because they kind of set regulations for what Chinese pao cai is, which Mm -hmm. originally comes from Sichuan. Mm -hmm. And so there was kind of a misunderstanding because they were making regulations just for the Chinese one, not for kimchi. But in Chinese, pao cai from Sichuan and kimchi, they're both called pao cai. Mm. And so Koreans kind of assumed that they were making regulations for for kimchi and for Chinese pao cai. Mm -hmm. And the Chinese also were like, yeah these regulations mean that kimchi is ours. Mm. So it was kind of just lost in translation, but that didn't stop people from just going with the argument and then moving on to things like music Mm -hmm. and islands and stuff. Okay. (laughs) The ISO actually did claim in their initial announcement that this is not for kimchi, Mm -hmm. but we like to ignore things. That's what people do nowadays. And so we ignored that and just carried on with the argument about claiming kimchi. Mm. What do you guys think about like champagne versus like... Prosecco mm. versus sparkling wine. Because like, for example, whenever I have a sparkling wine, I just, I call it champagne, right? Yeah. But that's actually inaccurate yeah. unless the sparkling wine is from a specific region in France. Champagne. Champagne. Right, from the champagne. champagne area. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay because if it's like, you know, produced there and then it's from that area and they were the for- first to say that this kind of drink is called champagne, mm. then... I mean, they, they, they have the honor mm. of, you know, naming it and then this will be claimed by them. And so other people can actually still make something that's exactly the same, yes. has the same ingredients, the same way of making it and claim it as their own, but with a different name. We they can't use the same name. We had a similar right. controversy in the UK a few years ago uh, about the Cornish pasty. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. It's Uh-oh. kind of like a pie, but it's like shaped like a crescent moon. And it's filled with like gravy, minced meat and like carrots and potatoes. And mm-hmm. it's, oh, it's so good. But you know, we have something <laughs> like that. Gari jiao. Gari jiao. Yeah, it's pretty much a gari uh-huh. jiao, but it's called a Cornish 
Cornish pasty because it's made in Cornwall in okay. South England. And they made this new regulation that if it's not made in Cornwall, then you cannot call it a Cornish pasty. You just call it a meat and potato pasty. <laughs> so okay. I'm just like, I'm honestly, I don't really care enough about it and you know sandwiches are from sandwich so can sandwiches only be called sandwiches if they're made in sandwich like mm -hmm. where is the line for this rule hmm. Hmm. see this is just people being people people just being it's... a little bit too specific and you know i think they're bored they're just mm -hmm. trying to find something do you know what i think that would solve this is that if the koreans anytime that it was called kimchi they could just claim that as their own and mm -hmm. and like designate what's inside it and how it's supposed to be made because and anytime you call it pao cai right. then the chinese they can decide their which, recipe sure, it's right? their recipe yeah. because pao cai and kimchi definitely taste different yeah right well, the flavor is different ooh. because <laughs> no because for sure kimchi doesn't put vinegar in there Perhaps. see i solved the problem that would solve oh, man. right see? end of the show <laughs> end of the show <laughs> all right the iso please come and talk to me okay or you know hire me as a consultant i think that would be great it took me like you know just 10 minutes to solve this whole thing i mean seriously toss any problem to us we got you the middle <laughs> we east gotcha we're, we're east, <laughs> east west solving exactly. 2021 there, there would be no war there would be no more sour times exactly oh, how, is, how is that as a segue into our next song <laughs> It's the worst. <laughs> this is by Karen Mock. And when we come back in just a moment, we're going to be talking with our colleagues in the Korean service here at RTI. To pretend no one can find the fallacies of morning rose, forbidden fruit, hidden eyes, courtesies that I despise in me. Take a ride, take a shot now Cause nobody loves me It's true Not like you do Covered by the blind belief that fantasies of sinful screams bear the facts assume the die and the vows no need to lie enjoy take a ride take a shot now cause nobody loves me it's true You're listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. In the second course of today's Feast Meets West, we continue our discussion of the kimchi controversy by heading over to the Korean service at RTI to find out what they think about it. And Reese is going to help us out. Are you nervous? Nervous? I'm excited. It's a controversy. I'm worried we're going to step on some toes. Perhaps. I mean, they are very prideful about their kimchi, but I think we can ask them these questions in a way that won't offend them. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna count on you. <laughs> Hello. As you step into the Korean service office, our three co-workers from that department are chatting. One of them has to go record the news, but the other two are happy to talk to us, as long as it's in Chinese and not in English. First, the introductions. Hi, Freeze. And who are our co-workers? 
Turns out they're not necessarily Korean. First is Sun Chuan Hong or Son San Hon. She's originally from Seoul but has lived in Taiwan for 10 years. Her dad is overseas Chinese and her mom is Korean. She's asking all of our listeners to support the Korean and English programs. Wow, I love that. <laughs> and colleague number two. And she bowed to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so she introduced herself, said her name, and yeah. hello, everybody. Mm. Your yeah. Korean is so good, Andy. Yes, you know, I've been practicing <laughs> for two minutes. <laughs> her name is Chen Yuchun. She's 100% Taiwanese, she says, but she studied abroad in Korea for a year. And how's her Korean? <laughs> Not too bad, she says. I think she's being modest. Right off the bat, Reese is curious to know if they like kimchi. Every Korean person likes kimchi. <laughs> Yuchun says she actually knows Koreans that don't like kimchi. So I'm guessing anything is possible. And have our co-workers heard about the kimchi controversy? They have indeed. Kimchi's, of course, it's Korean, or maybe China has some claim. Chan Hong says that she's got Chinese and Korean roots, so she's unbiased. She says that China has sun cai or pickled cabbage, which is eaten along with pork in hot pot. And in Korea, well, they have pickled veggies too, of course, but with chili powder. And you have it in Taiwan, she says. Huangjin pao cai, or golden pickled cabbage. Yuchun says it's often eaten with stinky tofu. But she says when foreigners hear about kimchi, they automatically think of Korea. I suggest that maybe the red kind is Korean, and they both agree. Do they use fish to make kimchi? In China or in Korea? Chuan Hong says that fish oil is used to pickle veggies in both Korea and China. Reese wants to know how many different types of kimchi there are. More than a hundred. Some places even use raw meat instead of raw fish in their pickled veggies. They toss it all in a big canister and ferment it for up to a year, and then they use it for barbecue or in soups. I've actually seen this done in indigenous villages in Taiwan, like the Amis people do it. They pickle raw pork called xilao, which they eat without cooking. But that's another story. So which pickled vegetables are their favorites? Yuchun mm. says she can't really eat spicy food, so she likes the sweet pickled cabbage that we eat with stinky tofu in Taiwan. Chuan Hong likes pickled cucumber, I guess you just call them pickles, and pickled bamboo shoots. She suggests we make a trip to Jeonju, a Korean city known as a center of gastronomy. And for me, I like traditional red spicy Korean kimchi. And in Taiwan, I like the sweet kind you eat with stinky tofu as well. And Reese? British people love sour foods, he says. I like all like sauerkraut and pao cai. And we call them gherkins. I think you call them pickles, right? But Reese says he doesn't like any of the fishy tasting kimchi. 
谢。I asked our Korean colleagues for some help choosing a song to play in our show, and it turns out that Yuchun is a huge fan of the Korean boy band BTS. They're the reason she studied Korean in college. So here's a song called "Boy with Love." By BTS, featuring the American singer Halsey. When we come back in our third course, we're going to sample some Taiwanese pickled cabbage and stinky tofu right here in the studio. Third All righty. Smells like leftovers in front of me. Oh, don't say that, Ellen Chu. <laughs> I think it smells delicious. Really?、Mm. So what we have is we have a plate of、uh, deep-fried kimchi, hopefully、uh-huh. still crispy on the outside. Some hot sauce in there, and、uh, also a nice bed of sweet pickled cabbage.、Mm. Go ahead and dig in, on,、mm, guys. I'm going to start with the with the pao cai.、Mm. Oh my, it's so spicy! Oh, is it really spicy? I know you love your spicy. I I thought you would. It is spicy.、Okay <laughs> mm. oh, no. the, the cabbage is very sour,、mm. which I like because. I think British people really enjoy sour foods.、Mm. We have vinegar with everything. Oh God, <laughs> it's really spicy. What kind of?、Um, oh yeah, that's right. You have like salt and vinegar p- chips. Oh, they're so good. I love those. Did you try the kimchi, Ellen? You look like you're not surviving. It's really good, but you know, I just bit into one of the chou tofu,、mm. and then it's so spicy <laughs> that I'm getting the hiccups right now. Oh no! I'm sorry. I. Th- <laughs> I might have given you a little too much、um, hot sauce on there, or maybe you got a really hot part of it because mine wasn't hot at all. Mine's not hot at all. Yeah, I、There's、think so. There's a slight、so. tangle, but you、oh、know who's hot? Ellen Chu, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, what、all、a hottie!、Right. But you know, the kimchi really complements the chou tofu. It's perfect, right?、Mm. It's perfect with the sweet and sourness, and this is definitely the traditional. I, I would say Chinese pao cai. Yeah. As opposed to kimchi, is totally different.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here yeah. we are talking about China and Korea claiming kimchi, and we're eating Taiwanese style. <laughs> right. It's but it's so good. It's it's so pickled and sour, and 
Uh, is it good for you? I would assume so. Yeah, fermented foods are actually good for you. They mm-hmm. help with digestion, I hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. You probably don't want to overdo it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not too much. I think fermented food, they say that, you know, it's good. A little bit helpful to your stomach and intestine. Okay. But too much, I think... It causes, you know, cancer too. Yeah, wow. I've heard oh, about that. There's balance. a connection. Mm-hmm. Balance in all things, yeah. as the ancient Greeks would right. say. I've recently gotten onto the whole drinking vinegar thing, which is also a very South Korean thing, mm-hmm. right? You mix vin- drinking vinegar with water, uh, and it, it's really tasty, and it does kind of settle your stomach after a big meal. I love sour foods too. Mm. I, I, and I think especially when we come from culinary backgrounds that are so full of starchy foods. Mm-hmm. To have something that's fresh and crisp, um, to cut the flavors and cut mm-hmm. those um, mouth feels, those right. textures, I think is just, it's sublime. Spe- especially when you have like greasy dishes. Yes. And it's really helpful. But Reese, I'm surprised, you know, you're like one of the foreigners that's in here, <laughs> sitting here and, you know, like eating this stinky tofu. <laughs> I'll tell you like, the truth. Actually, before I lived in China for a while before Taiwan. Okay. And I really didn't like the stinky tofu there mm-hmm. because they have like the Hunan style and it's like black and it's kind of oh. like just, it's like the, the blue cheese equivalent of, of, of stinky tofu. It's mm-hmm. black? It's black. So they let it ferment for a long for, time. For, she, she been, she been there a while. <laughs> um, uh, so that's a bit too much. And uh-huh. I came to Taiwan and my friends were like, you've got to try it. It's so Taiwanese. I was like, okay, I'll try anything, you know. Right. Uh, if you had that one, this is like... This is good. Like, yeah. this is a good amount of stinky. The steamed one is really good. Uh, it's just... And I love textures with food. I'm so texture-based. Mm. And so when you've got this, like, crispy tofu with the crunchy cabbage, it just works so well. You know, after a few training, I can take, like, the fried ones. Mm-hmm. But for the steamed ones, every mm. time that, you know, somebody puts it on the <laughs> on the table, I just, like, pop up and stand back. Run away. And then run away until they finish at dish. Wow. Yeah. So there you have it. That is, uh, that is the kimchi kerfuffle. I don't know that we solved it, but I definitely solved my... My hunger. Well, yeah. you know, you make sure that you send a letter to ISO and tell them that it's just the balance of vinegar or not. I'll, I'll get right on it. Okay. I'll tell them that Ellen Chu has right. the answer. What yeah. we did solve is the issue of our employment here at RTI. We're, <laughs> right. we're getting fired after the, the stinky tofu situation. We <laughs> might not be on air next week, okay? And if you don't hear us, you know why. But if, <laughs> but if we are on the air next week, we will be mooing in the year of the ox with a beefy show about bovines that's right it is the lunar new year it is upon us Uh, i think it'll be day two next week when you hear us on saturday i think so all right so write to us at p.o box 123-199 type a taiwan email us at androo at rti.org.tw and next saturday yes do join us mooing in the year of the ox with a beefy show oh one final song today uh we're gonna play a song called sweet pickle it is by (laughs) bash what kind of name is that 88 you know um, guava seeds guava seeds (laughs) but it is pickly and sweet kind of like that last uh pao thai that we just had in the studio all righty uh, so for Feast Week I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. And I'm Reese. Thanks so much for being with us, Thanks Reese. for having me. And Bye. you're going to be with us next week, too. Right? I'll be back. You can't get rid of me. You like that smell. All right. <laughs> All right. See you later.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.